Blog Talk Radio. Yo, Peter Simpson checking in. Can you hear me, Pizza? Can you hear me testing one, two? Now I can. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Had to unmute myself. All right. Okay. So if we couldn't hear, what was the beginning? There we go. There we go. All right. Well, sometimes Wrestle Radio Network can be a pain in the. That's besides the point. Let's get this ball rolling. <laughs> Let's get this ball rolling, show, shall we? SmackDown, for some reason, is staying in the West Coast, whatever. You know, it's a 25-city tour. On with the shenanigans, shall we? So I took notes, folks, unfortunately. I really couldn't pay attention to it because it was another one of those pass-the-mic nights. I hate those nights when they revert back to that in WWE, but apparently... Apparently, we need to have a dramatic, melodramatic shindig with uh, Edge and Seth Rollins. But that's not how the night started. So, okay, if I really want to get started, folks, let's start it from the top, shall we? So, this is how it started. Edge promo with you know him saying, I should never have doubted you. Blah, 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 blah. I love Edge to death, but... Dear Lord, if this is setting up dramatic, it's like, I will steal your soul. Okay, Shang Tsung. That's literally the only thing I caught on was like, I could have easily stopped by your house and had a chance encounter with Bex. Really? I mean, at your age, dude, I mean, I'd, I'd be lucky to get the Viagra out of the fucking tube just to say, you know, what the fuck is going on with back then? It was doing great. And then it had this night. So moving past that, Balor versus Sami Zayn. It was, you know, it was your basic match. It wasn't too terrible. It was very, you know, good back and forth action. Um, I, I will say, I'm not surprised at what tactics, you know, they implored, you know, or they, uh, Sami Zayn implored the feet on the ropes, and then Jessica Carr said, "Hey, wait a minute," you know, and it was very cheesy wrestling, but it worked. And then Balor made his comeback, and yay, hoorah! One, two, three. After a coup de grace for the second, you know, little second attempt. So this match was pointless. Shayna Baszler versus Sonya Deville, and or Shayna Baszler and Sonya Deville versus Naomi in a two-on-one handicap match. I didn't even know that you could wrestle in a suit and heels, but apparently Sonya did, and it was fucking horrible. It was fucking horrible. Her authoritative figure, I mean, it's been done before. Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon. I can go on and on, but I digress. Um, Hit Rose promo, I'm real interested to see what they do on on the blue brand. I mean, they bring a lot to the table. They, you know, create and generate a lot in NXT. They got a lot of attention. They got a big old dude. It's a former uh, NFL player, top dollar. They got B-Fab. 
I'm just seeing her Bianca Belair. I really want to see that. I don't know why. Uh, and then Sasha Banks. They, you know, this was the night of past the mic and backstage shenanigans. So Sasha Banks promoted about the triple threat and how she made both Becky and Bianca relevant. Really don't care whenever Sasha speaks. I really don't. Um, Me either. So like, it's it's in the reason why folks just touch base on that. It's the same Sasha from 2016 that she is now. Whether she's a baby face or a heel, it it really doesn't matter. So moving forward, um, Seth then came in the ring and talked our ears off, and I. I don't understand his wardrobe. I don't know if it's Joker meets um, from 1989's Batman meets whatever style he's trying to trend after. I didn't really care for what he had to say. He said, you know, his response to Edge was basic. It was generic. It was bland. It didn't even it, – it really it, – it boils down to he always pulls for the crowd, and then he goes after the main frame, subject of the matter. So – at this point, I uh, just want to fast forward into the mainframe, which, uh, let's see here, um, the Street Profits versus the Usos in a street fight. Okay, their version of a street fight is keeping it all in the ring, bringing out tables, ladders, and chairs. That's not a street fight. That is a fucking shame is what that is. I've seen street fights in wrestling. It goes all the way outside the ring, into the crowd. Outside the arena. This match was complete bullshit. So, really, I don't mean to go off the rails on every single fucking point here, but my God, you you advertise a street fight. Fucking shit. Okay, so their version of a street fight, folks, go out in the ring, let's do dives onto things like tables. Then let's do a chair and super kick the dude in the face because Lord only knows that screams street fight. And what I mean by that is the Usos fucking won this match because we know it's Captain Obvious because they have to hold the titles in limbo with fucking Mr. Reigns himself, okay? Mr. Acknowledge Me in every fucking city he goes through. Um, so outside of that t- title match that was pointless completely fucking pointless as kickoff matches are on pay-per-views for wwe they had a main event and boy this main event just screams let's recycle what we did on raw and what we did on smackdown the previous night except for let's include bianca belair who sat at commentary when it was becky versus sasha and they promo bianca belair versus charlotte which we all know that most likely Sasha and Becky will get involved. So this match between Becky and uh, Sasha, boy, the crowd, I'm going to tell you, was dead up until the middle of the match when Sasha tried a Meteora on the outside and she missed and she hit her knees. And and I just, I, I'm i sorry, I, I zonked out past that part. I didn't fall asleep. I zonked out. There's a difference. Um, I was listening. I was fucking listening to this shit. And then Bianca Belair does something really funny. It's like, let me hit you with my hair. Woman smacks Becky in the hand and distracts her. And then Sasha hits the back crack. You know, it's like you hit a backstabber like four fucking times in this match. And you're telling me that Becky Lynch is going to kick out of three of those. And by the fourth one, she doesn't because of a distraction. Ooh, okay. That was the end of SmackDown. Not the end of SmackDown. It was close to the end. So you have the contract signing which 
really fucking sees nothing special to me because you have Paul Heyman standing there and acting like he really assumes the the role of advocate for or a tribal chief. But Brock Lesnar gets in there and puts his boots up on the tables, relaxing, smiling from ear to ear. And Roman just, you know, just nonchalantly says, sign the contract, you dumb cowboy. Lesnar said, oh, no, see, I had someone read the contract to me. It was Paul Heyman, <clears throat> the advocate, my advocate. And it's just the crowd's reaction to have them hook, line, and sinker, you idiots. And by you idiots, I mean the people who really, truly believe that Paul Heyman is playing both sides. May or may not be. I don't know which bandwagon WWE is having him jump on. I just, I'm all just confused as to why SmackDown went down the way it did before Crown Jewel because next Thursday it's going to air in Saudi Arabia. It's their WrestleMania because they rarely get a show from WWE. And let me explain. The last three Crown Jewels have been shit-tastic. And this one's set up because we know Roman's going to just keep the title and it, we'll live to bitch another day. You know what I mean? The end of that show was really – I'm, sur- I'm surprised that I grabbed popcorn and a drink to watch this shit, okay? Briefly, SmackDown review is, okay, I, Brian Rails, have agreed to – Sit and watch the programming, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But this one is like, what the f- fucking frack happened to you guys? You went from great, no more promos, just straight up action and good intentions, to Pat McAfee rambling more than Brian Rails. That's sad. Yeah, for real. Yes, sir. But that is why we have a pro wrestling podcast so that I can just sit and commiserate about what's going on in the world of professional wrestling. And so right out the gate, folks, I actually took time. My partner in crime knows more than I about this subject. I took notes. I took notes on this particular subject, on all the subjects, really. Tessa Blanchard. Oh, yeah. We're going to start right out the fucking gate with Tessa Blanchard. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. It's so funny that we went into that, like, whole thing about Tessa, but now that she's on, she's uh, going to be involved with this new professional wrestling company, this all-ladies wrestling company, that's, uh, pretty, uh, that's a pretty bold move, I must say. I mean, dude, like, okay, so I went ahead and did the research on this uh, wrestler. I mean, she's like, what, 26? Yeah, 26 years old. And it's saying that, you know, she is reported to join Women of Wrestling, but in 2020, she had multiple accusations, okay? And this includes, you know, people like Chelsea Green, Allison Kay, that, you know, when she went out and tweeted, you know, let's have each other's backs, you know, well, Chelsea Green, Gigi Dolan, multiple like current wrestlers of NXT have come forward and said, "Really? Come forward like you had uh, when you were treating other people like crap." Gigi Dolan said, "Not just her, but Allison Kay and Chelsea Green have all said 
that Tessa Blanchard was not only verbally abusive, but, dude, not just the wrestlers complained about this woman. There are accusations from the staff, like, from the staff of wrestling that have worked with her in the past. So, I mean, she's got a pretty story past. I mean, it says, basically, she went on social media to say the following. She said... The point of this post is because I'm taking back the control of my narrative. And then on Instagram, she goes on to say, that's not me. I don't have a history of being that way. I don't have a history of using that language. And that's the end of it. And it's not who I am. And, it's, and I'm tired of being called and my family seeing me being called so hateful. Well, lady. If you didn't have that incident where you called someone the N-word overseas and you treated other women like absolute shit, then I guarantee you that locker room is going to be so tense, dude. It's going to – I can't even speak for the women who have noticed that she's going to be there, so they're going to have to be professional with her. But that's kind of an interesting move on the promoter's behalf. Like you invited her because of what? Because her name has a legacy behind it because her dad was a four horseman and her stepdad was Magnum TA. Like, come on, there's got to be a reason you know, why you You know what I think it is? I think it's the women's wrestling talent pool isn't that large with three companies. Well, I'm sorry, with WWE, with Impact, Ring of Honor, AEW, all having women's promotion with women, having women's wrestling, they it's hard to come by. And Tessa Blanchard really is like one of the few uh, like big name free agents that's out there. It's a bold move, but she's gonna have to make a real effort to reverse the her image because. No matter if she says it or not, she's got a bunch of people who does say that she's a fucking asshole. So she's going to have to be cool for a while and just lay low and uh, keep her fucking mouth shut. <laughs> They're probably going to end up giving her the Miz and Enzo treatment, which for those of you who don't know, like the inner workings of wrestling's like this. It's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood, dude, whether you're a fan, wrestler, whatever. And even fans notice how bad you are, and you sat there and literally... This is what gets me with her. You sit there and on social media deny what you had said. Girl, I'm going to keep... I'm going to steal a line from Bianca Belair. Girl, uh-uh. You don't go here. Like, that's ridiculous. How are you going to sit there and deny what you did to La Negra Rosa or La Rosa Negra? Sorry. And over like a span of time, you have multiple wrestlers come forward about what you did. I get that they're bringing her in for, you know, a major company move. But like now, that'd be like the NFL after what John Gruden had done. Allow him to go coach on a crappy ass team like the Detroit Lions. That's the that's the same equivalent because he had emails that were saying misogynistic, racist, homophobic crap. And you know, I'm you know, I'm just gonna say it like Tessa Blanchard, yeah, you're right. She has to lay low, she has to make amends and you know, you have to give someone an amount of grace you know, grace time or whatever, a grace period, but with what she's done. That remains to be seen. Yeah, 
You know what? I really think this was kind of, I, I think like they've made two moves, this new wrestling company. First, they uh, are bringing in Tessa Blanchard, but they're also bringing in AJ Lee in a uh, commissioner style role. So it'd be kind of cool to see AJ back and involved with a uh, new fed and doing something with wrestling again. I think it's pretty cool that AJ is, you know, it's the complete polar opposite of what we just discussed with Blanchard. I actually love the crazy wrestling gimmick. She, AJ is just so vibrant and so full of wrestling history and not just WWE. AJ Lee has that kind of like spontaneity about her where you just don't really know which version you're going to get. And now with women of wrestling, as you said, they get her a commissionary type role, an authoritative role. Ooh, we, I cannot wait. You know, it's going to be fun. I think like, I think like it's going to, it's going to, it's a little bit of, you know, a little weird to to see Tessa Blanchard back on TV, but I'm glad to see a women's only fed. So that's pretty cool. You know, that's a good, bold move. I mean, it's definitely a first, not in the sense, you know, you have women of honor, but this is like on a major scale. It's going to be, and hopefully it's going to be on TV. Um, it's involved with CBS. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Because, you know, they need, we need all the kinds of different forms of wrestling on TV. Because why? Not just two wrestling companies that are duking it out and annoying the fuck out of me for some odd reason. I just, uh, it's like, I've been this, I've seen this, uh, pizza's seen this, other fans have seen these wrestling wars before, and now we have a trifecta? Hell yeah, let's do this! Yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely interesting. Um, I, I actually caught, um, I actually caught the AEW buy-in that was competing with uh, <laughs> that was competing with SmackDown last night. So <clears throat> instead of watching SmackDown, I was uh, taking a little break from working on a slice of pizza. And there's a fun there's a fun promotion in Indianapolis called Paradigm Pro, and they were doing a double header show with uh, two, their sixth anniversary, and then another show at like nine o'clock, which is I think that's awesome. You know, the more you know, double headers and back to backs and uh, whatever, that's definitely cool. This may not take. And a uh, sorry, yeah. I lost. Sorry, I lost my chain of thought. So I watched the uh, AEW buy-in, um, and the highlight of the AEW buy-in was 100% the match of the well, match of the year candidate of Minoru Suzuki versus Brian Danielson. After leaving WWE, Brian Danielson has made an made a huge impact for AEW, and he has dropped. Two, I you could honestly say that uh, he had three fucking great matches this year. I thought the match at WrestleMania with Edge and Edge and Roman Reigns was very good, and then to have this wild match with Kenny Omega, and then to follow it up with this uh, 
with this uh, dream match versus the grappling legend Minoru Suzuki, who's just basically hanging out in America, just traveling, going to indie shows, blowing people's minds. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki was a fucking match of the year candidate, my friend. Even though I think I caught like a tilt clip of it, I think Danielson got knocked out, didn't he? He got a re- he caught a real real stiff forearm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I don't know if he got knocked out or not, or if he was just you know just selling the effects of it. But um, yeah, it was a it was a fight, man. I, it was definitely something I the kind of match I want to see because. Flips and all that stuff, and all that Young Buck style of match is great, but for me, I really just like grappling and, you know, stiff and snug elbows to the face. And, uh, yeah, that match fucking delivered for sure. I honestly, folks, did not catch Rampage because I was watching the disaster train wreck that SmackDown was. And by disaster train wreck, it was just like, oh, my God. I will watch the replay, though, to do it justice for AEW because, I, you know, I'm not going to tickle Khan's or McMahon's fancy by saying this. I don't care what you fucks throw at me. All I'm going to want is someone to entertain me, and I don't want someone bragging on social media, well, we're going to go head-to-head with you and – we're going to beat you. You know how many times that I've heard that in my lifetime from wrestling promoters from to another wrestling promoter? A bunch. And all I'm going to say is this. As long as I'm getting fucking entertained, that's all I give a fuck about. And sorry I'm dropping more F-bombs than I do on D-Day like I do on Off the Rails. But we got to move forward, folks. That's like that subject to uh, TJP and CMLL. Um you know, you're talking about someone who's making names for themselves. This dude, ever since leaving WWE, has done a fantastic job on, in JPW. And, I mean, it's just the quiet horse, man. He's just like the dude that's just completely just trying to not maintain a name, but it's just like saying, hey, I'm still here, and I'm still wrestling alongside names like Will Ospreay and, you know, um, I really, I really, I really have mixed mixed feelings about TJP because I just think like he's his character is kind of bland, but I think he's very very capable of um having a fucking awesome match. But I think like I think like he's pretty much wrestled for every fucking company. He's wrestled for Ring of Honor. WWE, Impact, New Japan. So him going to CMLL, I'm not I'm not surprised at all. I mean, his style fits it, and it's just basically like lightweight wrestler can wrestle, you know, do the flips and do. Basically, I hate saying this, but he can do the flippy flippy shit. The dives, the stuff that make crowd go, oh, ooh, and just you know, basically entertain. So I mean, good, good for him, you know. So, oh dear lord, everybody has a price. Yeah, DiBiase, <laughs> dear God Almighty, dude, the, the 
Brett DiBiase, <sighs> douche canoe. Holy shit. You talk about praising the Lord, but this involves embezzlement from DiBiase, his son, his other son. The court has forced literally the DiBiase's to give back every single penny. And I do, I just, I just want to say, this is sad because I grew up watching The Million Dollar Man and actually cheering for when he was against Hogan. Screw Hogan. I really, at this point, for those who cheered for him, Mazel Tov, happy, you know, trails. I loved Ted DiBiase, Jake the Snake, everybody that was against Hogan. So, anyways, let me just let me just touch base on this and what this says, okay? DiBiase pleads guilty for part in four million, four million dollars in embezzlement. Okay, so the details are as such: Well, Jackson, Mississippi, one man accused of being involved in the largest public embezzlement scheme in Mississippi history. Wow. Brett DiBiase, a former pro wrestler and son of wrestling legend Ted DiBiase Sr., entered the plea after his arrest in February. DiBiase is alleged to have conspired with others to defraud the Mississippi Department of Human Services. So, wow, fraud. Forty-eight was paid $48,000 acting as the business restored LLC using a series of fraudulent and false claims to receive payment. He's also accused of helping cover up these payments by falsifying documents, invoices, books, reports, and ledgers. So let me just fast track this and say basically that every single cent that was uh, accrued by the DBOSs now have to be given back to the state of Mississippi. And so Ted was involved. Junior was involved, and old, you know, the other son that we really have no recollection of in pro wrestling. Some do, some don't. That's really sad, folks. You think you know some people? Hall of Famer, and uh, his name has now been smudged really, really bad. Um, I'm not surprised by anything. Everybody's a fucking crook, and if you're presented with, if you're presented with a chance to steal some money, that might, you know. That might change your life. Most people are going to take it. I'm sorry. Well, that's true. I'm not going to lie. If if you were to give Pizza Simpson and I, I don't know, like a lot of money, let's just say like two billion dollars, okay, and we were just like, oh yeah, cool man, let's keep the money raking in, and then all of a sudden we get investigated and we have to give every cent of it back. I would literally cry. Because they say money can't buy you happiness. Excuse you. Um, I don't know about anybody, any human being that would sit there and say money can't. Some people are not materialistic. I'm guilty of, of saying the following. Money can buy certain things that allows you to do certain things and allow things, you know, to make your life a little better. Like, oh, I don't know, a bigger house, a better car, this, that, the other, you know. A little of this, a little of that. I digress, folks. Let's, you know, move on past this uh, horrible, horrible debauchery. So normally when wrestlers react to them getting booed, some take it personally. Some just laugh, laugh and shrug it off. But Cody Rhodes refers to himself as like he says he, he feels like Woody 
from Toy Story when the crowd boos him. Are you, do you really feel like that, bro? Because I, I really, I would like to know personally, like, um, if I was to get booed, or if anybody else, not I to get booed, but if, let's say, a rapper or an R&B singer gets booed out the fucking arena, and they just, you just get booed and never ever feel the same again, and then you say, well, I feel like a Disney character from this movie. Like, that's so... I mean, I admire Cody for saying that, but, like, kind of weird. Like, you, you feel like a Disney character, do you know? Because it says, like, um, Cody Rhodes has been presented as a babyface throughout his entire tenure with AEW thus far. How, as of late, the fans have been booing him. No shit. I'm on the outlook. If you pay your money to attend the show, if you give us your attention to watch the show, you do whatever you want. I think our competition... In the wrestling space, one of the things that has hurt them is in their inability to hear. If you're a wrestler in the ring, you can hear, and if you don't hear reactions, you're doing yourself a disservice. He's right about that. Um, you're doing the match, you're in a disservice. I can hear, but I also play chess, not checkers. So I think it's fun to speculate, and there's so much that we've seen in the past. That's how this went. That's how this could go. The challenge I'm facing and the direction I'm going is something never been done in wrestling before there's tons of just old plays that we could run here oh kick this guy in the balls and abuse my evp power very soap opera bullshit i don't mean to say that harsh but the challenge for me now is to go in a direction that perhaps no wrestler has gone before and it says uh i've had i've uh and i'm looking forward to it as the most fun i've ever had in my career before blah 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 blah. so he's talking about the reaction he got okay woody was having a hell of a time. He was having a great time. He was getting played with every day. He was the number one toy. Buzz Lightyear shows up. Woody gets thrown in the toy box. If you're wondering how I feel, take a peek at how Woody felt in every in very first Toy Story because that, to a degree, has been my role lately. However, with that said, in my pettiness aside, I have been doing this since I was 15 years old, and that education is invaluable in terms of me not panicking and in terms of also me enjoying this moment. I've never had a run like this in my career where everything is happening at once, personally and professionally. I want to ride the wave. I want to look back at it and enjoy it. But yes, if anyone wants to know perhaps how I feel, identify with Woody from Toy Story, if that makes any sense. That's where I am with it. Um, wham, wham, wham. Shut the fuck up. You know what it is? People are bullying him because all the shit he's done hasn't hit as hard. Cody Rhodes is Cody Rhodes kind of sucks. And it shows. And like, ev- it shows. Yeah, and everything that he's done up until now has been subpar at best, and people are fucking sick of it. And now that his dumb wife is back, people are way even more fucking sick of it. You know? When you have He wants to be this huge star and he's not. It didn't quite like look, my partner like the my co host, my awesome he brings up a very valid point actually very valid points. Until you hit what has happened to oh gee I love bringing this example up because these guys have been through the ringer Shawn Michaels 
Hulk Hogan, despite my disenchantment with him. They have been through the ringer. God rest his soul. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, the ultimate warrior. And the fact that, okay, Jake the Snake Roberts. The Undertaker. You want list of names who have been through the ringer and the crowd really didn't know how to react to them because they've seen their stuff before. Like, okay, Cody Rhodes may not be a Hogan. He may not be a Shawn Michaels, a Kevin Nash, a Scott Hall, a Diamond Dallas Page. The list goes on. But for him to sit there and be all smug and say, I'm just going to take, you know, take it for the way, ride the wave. Like, I'm going to say this nicely. Cody Rhodes' character is really going to have a hard time evolving with all the big names involved in the company. And then he's going to get, oh, Booker syndrome, which means I want to be involved with big names. And I'm not going to give the other talent the the chances. You have... Names floating around there like Brian Danielson and CM Punk and Adam Cole and, you know, Hangman Page and John Moxley. The list goes fucking on. And he's sitting there telling you, he's sitting there telling us, the audience, that, you know, you'd be doing a disservice to yourself if you didn't feel like you're just telling us what we would like to hear. And it's so fucking obvious. Like, how. Like, dude, come the fuck on. Are you insulting our intelligence as fans and telling us, well, I feel like Woody from Toy Story because he got played with every day until Buzz came along. So who's Buzz? Who, I'm, I'm curious to know, dude, who is Buzz in the company now? Is it CM Punk? Is it CM Punk? It's literally because, everyone else. It's literally everyone else because now the attention is not on him. You know, and Chris Jericho doesn't give two flying shits. The dude's fucking amazing. Do you know why? Because Chris has stuff, other projects that he does outside of being a, narr- a narrator for Dark Side of the Ring or, you know, basically appearing on WWE programming, you know, on um, Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast. He has other shit that he does. The man literally did a show with Fozzie, and then, you know, he flew – actually, he did an AEW show, flew in a plane – came to Kansas or wherever and performed with his band because the man has multiple projects. Can Cody say that he, that he has multiple projects? I'm pretty sure that he may or may not, but there's no, he's so one dimensional. It's like, okay, he can do a few things. He can have a reality show because the Miz of Miz and Miss is like, I'm sorry, but I I don't know what the deal with like Brandy Rhodes having to insert herself in the match with Malachi Black or Brandy Rhodes having to insert herself with other I mean it's like well you know she is in charge I'm like I don't as a fan I don't really want to see her as a fan I'd rather just see the progression of what Cody can do and evolve his character and I hate and I don't hate saying this Cody Rhodes' character will not evolve as well as a Triple H. It will not evolve as well as a Shawn Michaels. It will not his character will not evolve as well as his older brother Goldust, which that character really didn't have an evolution. well, it kinda did, but you get what I'm saying? When he says stuff like I feel like Woody from Toy Story, it makes fans be like, How delusional are you, dude? You're not a bad wrestler, but your style your evolution of character, that's in question. And it's like, 
I don't know what else to say other than ever since AEW has began, it's like someone has always had to push Cody Rhodes to get to that next level. And now, you know, Arn Anderson is literally working arm in arm with him on this new story with him. Like, okay, let's, let's burn this image of you. Let's give you a, let's give you a revamp. It's like Arn is literally the workhorse and pushing this new concept of Cody Rhodes' new character. It's like, come the fuck on, dude. You, come on, man. You got to understand that pro wrestling is not just one-dimensional. It's very verse. And if you're not versing yourself, then you're going to get lost in the shuffle, even in AEW. Yeah, that's what happened. And what's inevitably going to happen is he's going to have to turn heel, and the fans are just going to boo him more and more and more. And once Cody, once Cody challenges for the title, after he put that stipulation that he wasn't going to, that's instantly going to turn him. So it's not. It's just a matter of time at this point. Because there's nothing really left to do with his character. You know, it's funny. People razz on Cena or Reigns not turning heel. But the funny part is, the minute that John Cena comes back to wrestling in Texas or whatever, for whatever pay-per-view he showed up to, it was just funny because fans had not seen him in a while. So, cheer. They booed him beforehand. Now, the contrast between Cena and Rhodes, let's see. Hmm. One will never be a fucking hero no matter what he does. He'll always be hated by a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But Cody Rhodes, it, it seems like, you know, you want to show, you want to come out and say you don't partake in jeering at WWE and taking shots. But it's like, dude, let me just point this out to you. Triple H did come out at Hall of Fame and he did know. This, you know, there was some chance going around. Did he did he stop and say, you know, or stop? No, he basically has stated before on several occasions, like congratulations to Cody Rhodes and AEW for beating us in ratings wars or whatever. But what I'm getting at is there's there was a point in which in WWE that Cody Rhodes could not evolve, so therefore they really had nothing left for him. So Stardust, but now it's like a fucking crutch. And, and Arn Anderson vaguely mentioned it. He's like, why don't you just paint a star on your face and uh, get, you know, just go evolve that way. And that was like kicking the ass, but Cody didn't take cue to it. So it's like, all right, you have however much time you have to do whatever you want to do to evolve your character. Cool. I'm not going to spend the whole rest of the night ranting and raving about Cody Rhodes because I do have other things I'd like to talk about, and I don't want to take most of my time chatting about that. So X-Pac, a name that has not been surfaced around for a while now, had mentioned something about NXT 2.0 needs to be run by young or younger writers, younger promotion, younger wrestlers that – aren't part of the thing but could help run the show and essentially what the article basically said because you know he was interviewed on a podcast and it says uh, NXT 2.0 he's young fresh blood making creative decisions so on pro wrestling for life 
Sean Waltman Xbox basically said, uh, "Let's see here. Who's in charge of creative direction of NXT? You can't. You can't have sixty plus year old people in charge of creative direction of a show that's geared towards young people." Waltman point out maybe oversee it, but you got to let young fresh blood make those decisions. We got to be self aware enough to know that we don't. And I'm including me too as a fifty year old man. We don't fucking know what they, you know, they want. We are, uh, we may think we do, or me, we might think we know what's best for them, but we fucking don't know. We need to fucking listen to people that do. So, it says NXT made headlines after mainstream uh, OS outlets covered Joe Gacy's character as an attack on the woke left. The character has undergone a slight shift from its debut, and Waltman gave his thoughts on the initial induction of the character. He goes. That was fucking brutal, Walton said. If you're going to do that specifically to get a certain group of people, you lost the fucking plot. That was fucking rotten. Some of the worst shit I've ever seen on a wrestling TV show. So it says, I have a limited experience with uh, Ken Doan. Waltman admitted because we had a match one time on a show. It was a crazy show. I don't want to get into all the hijinks that happened, but I had a really nice match with him. He impressed me. He knows what's up. So uh, he said... Other people that were maybe just mid-card guys still have a lot to offer. So essentially, dude, yes, NXT, the way it was in 2013 to about 2017, when you know, Adam Cole before AEW, before Bobby Fish, and practically half of the old NXT roster is now on AEW. But the fucking thing is this. He's got the point. You cannot let people who want a demographic of 18 to 49 viewers to have like an oversee of basically having a demographic of 62-year-old viewers and viewership. So what he's saying is fucking let – I don't know, like Tommaso Ciampa, Thatcher, somebody help run the fucking booking because it's just absolutely horrible right now. Yeah, the show is boring, and they really just did what pretty much a bunch of good years of wrestling and a good, you know, good track record, you know, of a lot of just quality TV. And sure, it kind of hit a lull, but it was still producing. And just because they lost to AEW doesn't mean they should just completely go in the opposite direction and freak out and make it look like it's 1995 again. What's really bad is the fact that they had Mandy Rose. You know, I don't mind her mentoring other uh, females like Gigi Dolan and Jane, but the thing is, it's like Toxic Attraction is basically the female version of, uh, well, if you combine the concepts of NWO and Undisputed Era, that's basically what they are. They're a group. Mandy Rose would be like the female Hulk Hogan, and the other two would be Hall and Nash, except for I don't know how tall these women are, and I don't care. But you have concepts like <laughs> a Ying or whatever, who's like this Mortal Kombat character, and it's just like – it's a mess. It's a hot mess. You get rid of like a few of the uh, things like Hit Row, which they were bound to go to main roster anyways. Now you have Ligado del Fantasma. So you have like way too many factions. You have Diamond Mine. You have <clears throat> Toxic 
toxic attraction, and now you have all these baby face groups that are now just formed like Zoe Starks and Io Shirai and Raquel Gonzalez as an unwanted attraction. And you have Kyle O'Reilly paired up with this big old tall, strong buff dude, Bon Wagner, and it's just like I, I think the only thing saving it is Tommaso Ciampa because Gargano's on his way out. You have all these new faces like Ron Breaker. Why did you give him that name? Just give him the fucking Steiner moniker, okay? Let's just stop playing shenanigans. Get back to basics. But they're not going to because they want to go a whole different direction. Let's give a windbreaker color to NXT. What the fuck? It was fine being black and gold. You have minus superstars. Now they don't even wrestle. They're just comical. You have Indy Hartwell and... I forget her name, Hereda. I, I'm sorry, folks, if I'm not pronouncing her name correctly, but you have Indy Hartwell as a tag team wrestler now. You had her as a comical relief marrying Dexter Loomis. Okay. The show has turned into a fucking joke because, yeah, Austin Theory was turned into a comic relief until they turned him into, like, this psychotic, I followed your career type dude now on main roster. Every person that comes from NXT ends up being either lost through the shuffle made as a tag team because they outshined one of the main roster talents, ergo, for example, Nikki Cross outshining uh, Charlotte Flair or outshining uh, Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch. Or at one point she was just outshining someone that main roster might have said, hey, I, I didn't really appreciate the way I was treated. So, you know, since she gets lost in the shuffle. What I'm getting at, folks, in a long fucking rambling about way is NXT 2.0 needs to be revamped, but not now. Because they're already in a direction, and if they point the other direction, it's just one big fucking catastrophe. It needs to be fixed. It needs. I wish that Hunter would come back and help book because, son of a bitch, it looks like absolute shit. It pro- I can't even tell you... How many times I go in the other room just to listen? You know, I listen to the action and I write down what happens. I don't even watch because it's not even that compelling to me. It's not like it was before with Mauro Ranello and uh, Nigel McGuinness and Beth Phoenix would not have so much input. And dear Lord, I think the announcers kind of take away from the action if they talk too much on programming. But anyways, I digress. So let's move forward. Okay, so after Sean Feltman's little NXT 2.0 deal, folks, our next on tap for us would be Braun Strowman sided with Brian Cage. Now, one must wonder. He did say, I don't know how long I'll be retired, but I'll take up any action. Now, he hasn't signed with AEW, but Impact is in close connection, so I don't know if what your thoughts are, my dude, but like when I saw that picture, I said, wait a minute, because I follow Brian Cage on Instagram, and I happened to catch a picture of Braun Strowman, I'm like, huh? I thought he said he was out of wrestling for now. Um, I don't believe any of that, and I just think like wrestlers are going to find each other anyway, and yeah, it's probably he. He's probably on deck going to AEW, man. I wouldn't be surprised. <coughs> I would. 
I wouldn't be surprised. He probably is just telling people he's just retired to just work fans and shit like that. And it's really, uh, it's really not that big of a deal. I, I would not be surprised if we see uh, Braun Strowman in AEW by the end of the year. Not that I don't mind, because I really have gotten past that point of like <laughs> saying the following. So Cody Rhodes at the opening of AEW in 2019 basically said we are not going to be over have an over influx of former WWE stars, and here you are. It's about to over inflate with <laughs> former WWE NXT. Let's see here: FTR, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson. Sting is not considered former WWE because he didn't have a fucking stint, okay? You got Sean Spears, and oh, yeah. Um, now, if I'm not mistaken, let's see here. You have some of the former creative staff from WWE, too, like Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko, Jim Ross. Shivani is not a part of WWE, was part of the F, you know, in the 80s, but Really? I mean, you have WCW, WWE, former ECW guys like Taz. Um, It just, I'm sorry, but like AEW has appeal, but it just, they're, the one thing that I'm pushing against, and I hate this fucking thing, well, man, you should really watch AEW. So I turn on AEW, and some parts of it are clusterfucks, and other parts of it are pretty cool. Um, In particular... From what I gather from Braun Strowman signing with AEW, at point, okay, I forgot. Oh yeah, Jake Hager, Chris Jericho. At one point, Sammy Guevara was a part of WWE as an audition process. Oh, and let's see here, Mr. Seidel, Kenny Omega. At one point, two thousand four, two thousand five. The list goes. Folks, oh, Dustin Rhodes too, for that matter. Cody Rhodes, that's, those are obvious, but that's aside from the point. How many times must we contradict ourselves through statements? AEW. That's all I'm gonna. That's all I'm gonna point out. Is there's so many contradictory statements? That is why I'm turned off by you guys sometimes because it's like you say one thing, and then turn right around and do the opposite of what you said because you're building your talent, right? So. That's that. Now, folks, this is the portion in the show which will become one of my all-time fucking favorites to discuss this show because I pay attention to this show like it's a religion. I think it's in there. Let's see what? here. Dark Side of the Ring. The latest edition of episode of Dark Side of the Ring called Many Faces of Luna. I gotta say, Luna Vachon is one of my favorite uh, all-time wrestlers to talk about because she was just so unique, so different, and she brought. She had a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes that we were not aware of. You know, like I didn't know, dude, that she trained with Fabulous Mula. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I didn't watch uh, Dark Side this week. It's okay. Like, uh, so basically, it was about Luna Vachon and what she had uh, 
Did, I was unaware of also the the, the whole incident with uh, her trying to train stable, you know, because she was going to be the women's champion. And she said, I don't have to take both because Vince said that I'm beautiful and I don't have, a beautiful person doesn't have to take bumps or get any bruises. So the match at WrestleMania 14, as Luna described it, it's kind of, it was just really sad. I mean, she, she literally said... That if she bruised, if she hit Sable in the face or gave her bruises, that she'd be fired. And oh yeah, I think that's bullshit because like when you train in wrestling, like you have, you're told, okay, this is wrestling. This is not you know powder puff football. You know, you have, like you barely touch the guy, you pull the flag off the guy's weight, the guy goes down. And for Sable to sit there and say that, I'm not surprised, but I feel really bad for Luna because. Not only like, okay, so the beginning of the episode of Dark Side of the Ring, it tells you that like her son, Van Hurd, that's like, I didn't know that she had a son. I also didn't know that uh, her father had fathered her at four years old because there's somebody that got shot at a motel. So Luna's father, Paul, after, you know, Mad Dog, Vashon, Came in there and had, you know, he had heard. He said, "I heard a gunshot at a hotel that I was staying at." And uh, I turned my head. There's a little girl, about four years old, and he. This is cra- how crazy the Vashams are. He married the widow. It's just like insane how it starts off right out the gate. How Luna was adopted mm-hmm. into the Vashon family. Yeah, and. Um, so I, I just also want to point out, like, there was a lot of drugs and stuff like Quaaludes and cocaine and how she started off her career, early, you know, career just as uh, one wrestler, a uh, former friend of hers said it was snowing in the 80s. And uh, mm-hmm. she said that she would take, like, over 100 pills a day, which is, I don't know. Mm-hmm how that's humanly possible that she did. And I, like I said, I had mentioned earlier about her wrestling with uh, being trained by Mula and how whenever Mula would come to the room, she would just, they, Gangrel said that, you know, he would power down and be shivering. And, you know, and that's how much power Mula had over these women. Apparently Mula, uh, right. yeah, Luna started training at the age of six, 15, 16 years old. And, one wrestler said she had a true big look on her face. You know, it's like whenever you said, why don't you just be a baby face? She hated that. She absolutely did not want to be a baby face. She just wanted to be a badass, you know. And I just learned <laughs> she started out with uh, Kevin Sullivan. Like, I also didn't. Honestly, folks, the only history I had on Luna Vachon was her days in WWE or F. Um with her rivalries with like sensational Jerry and Alundra blaze. And that's it. Cause I know she, she was given a managerial role because there's only like six females on the roster total. According to uh, Medusa or Alundra blaze. I, dude, this is crazy. So Alundra blaze basically said, I was, we were in Canada and she tried to get Luna to, you know, like she tried to drop the title. Luna, she's like, "Well, I'm sick of this shit." Blah blah blah. And Luna actually cried and said, "I can't, 
I can't just take the title from somebody. Like, I'll lay down. You pin me one, two, three. She wouldn't do it. She would not get the opportunity to uh, take the title off of Lundra Blaze, which is really sad because they never really gave Luna the women's championship at all. And she was asked later on in the show, is there any regrets that you had in life? And she goes, well, the opportunity to win the women's championship in, in Canada, she goes, I regret you know, not going through with it because I could have had championships under my belt. Um, the other thing was, you know, her her brief stint in like uh, ECW. I remember that. I remember she had a cage match versus Stevie Richards. I vaguely remember that, but when the Dark Spattering brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, she kicked his ass, which was pretty cool. Yes, she did. And, oh, um, here's a little here's a little nugget about her son Van. He was a contestant on that uh, Gordon Ramsay show, Hell's Kitchen. I did not know that. Mhm. Mhm. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, right. That's pretty. Dude, that's pretty badass. And you know something that's cool is like he said that when his mom would come to school and he tried to hug him. Like, she brought a snake with her, so the snake would almost bite him. And he goes, I'm pretty embarrassed about that whole thing. It's true. And, you know, I think it's kind of, he said that he had multiple stepdads because, he, you know, Luna, here Luna, you know, trying to take care of uh, herself and family. She's just having problems with addiction, you know, getting fired from the company and, um, what's really sad, dude, about this whole thing, if you listen uh-huh. to it, is that um, her father says, I don't believe she did drugs. I'm sitting there going, are you serious? Did he just say that? He's like, I don't believe it. I don't think she went down that path. She's too nice of a person. I'm like, I don't really don't want to talk ill of Mad Dog with Sean because I don't want to knife up my neck. Dude is crazy. <laughs> Some people just don't want to hold their kid in that regard, you know. They just don't want to think of their kid that way. Well, I just think it's pretty – I mean, it's their whole family, dude. Like, they talk about her Aunt Vivian and how she would put the curlers in her hair and she would just – she wanted nothing more than to be like her Aunt Vivian. But they said, like, Luna was abused as a kid, and then they told the story about how uh, Mula – sent uh, Luna Vachon out west to this guy who paid her like $500 for photographs but the guy tried to attack her and rape her so Luna beat his ass of course and, and so I'm just like that's insane how Mula ended up as a part of this story the fact that Mula has trained a lot of people but I did not know that Luna Vachon was one of them and right and also didn't know, like, okay, so her and Gang Girl have a story past, and it was interesting because he was telling the story about how she was trying to get him into WWF, and uh, she was sending in tapes of her and him. WWF didn't want him. They wanted her. So her debut, like, April 4th, 1993, he goes, I'm not going to lie. He goes, I was a little jealous of the whole thing. 
<clears throat> but like to know that Luna went through backstage, she really didn't have that many women to wrestle. So she was given a managerial role, Aja Kong, and she managed, you know, basically Bam Bam Bigelow. And her son was talking about, um, was talking about the story of uh, how, you know, it's like I turn on WrestleMania and I see my mom, I see Sherry, I see Jerk, you know, Shawn Michaels. And he goes, this is unreal. That was her. He goes, like, um, one of the. Actually, her friends described her as, like, bipolar. She had, like, three personalities. It was Angel, Dantel, or Luna. And one person said that they got into a fight at a motel because Luna was, like, fine one minute. And then the very next, like, what the hell? You know, she turned into Luna the rest of the day. <laughs> and uh, they <laughs> next thing you know, one thing led to another. They said you would think it would be, like, a murder scene because the lamps were knocked over. You try and calm Luna down, she said you couldn't do that with her. And she said that was um, – she goes, I don't know if it was like a thing that she just sees on so many drugs or drinking or whatever. But, like, the WWE had fired her back in 94, 95, and then she went briefly to ECW. And she, you know, Mick Foley had uh, talked about how – she was just a really kind person, but she had a lot of uh, she had a lot of in betweens happen, you know. Like she was very insecure. She would, you know, snort cocaine. And Gangrel tells the story. Speaking of which, he tells the story of like the last time that WWF had or E had fired her is because uh, she refused to take her top off during a midnight gown like a Miss Rumble thing where you had to show your swimsuit and her son goes you spent 10 years making me ugly and now you want me to take my top off fuck you I thought that part was funny but anyways folks the whole entire episode of Dark Side of the Ring with Luna Vachon Essentially, basically, what I believe was the whole premise was sad that Luna didn't live past where, you know, when she died. And um, she had a lot of problems, you know, giving everything she had to the business and the business just basically saying, okay, well, that's not enough. That's not what we want. So if you didn't like a good old Brian Rails or Pizza Simpson, I had to say I got three choice words for you. Forget about it. Wait, do I have to end the show now? I think I want to just finish up on Luna Vachon. If you guys don't know, Dark Side of the Ring featured a lot of people that knew Luna Vachon. One of the interesting things they said was she would have wanted her funeral like this. Allow me to elaborate. <laughs> they envisioned if she was still around, she would have said, I want my funeral like this. One said that she would have a bunch of bikers and fireworks and stuff on the coffin, you know, and just having fun as her body was proceeding to a funeral. And her son said, I don't think she'd like that. She'd just like a private funeral and a few friends and family and a few kind words, and that'd be it. 
Um, I think the Luna Vachon was a precursor to Nikki Cross and gimmicks that really stood out, unique gimmicks, ones that necessarily don't make sense to fans, but it makes sense to other people, oddballs like me, and that's why I love Luna. I think she was great. All right, folks, that'll do her for Wrestle Radio Network. Tune in next Saturday to be announced. We're going to go to three shows instead of two. And that's all she wrote. Good night, toodles, bitches. I love you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is this thing on? <laughs> The cult of personality. The cult of personality.